to hit the cinemas. Uh, who would have believed they could possibly do five movies on Mission Impossible? But it is, it's there, it's out there. And uh, it's another one of those movies where uh, Tom Cruise is going to save the world. There's a, an issue that's going on, he's going to come in, he's going to save it. There's action, there's heroes, there's all sorts of stuff going on. And there's the big mission that seems to be impossible, but Tom Cruise will pull it off. Maybe. Have to wait and see because I haven't seen the end of the film either. Uh, but there, it's interesting that five films on Mission Impossible, and each story is separate, but yet each story hangs together. Well, in the in the Bible, we have almost the same in the very first five books of the Bible, Genesis uh, through to Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers and Deuteronomy are uh, the first five books of the Bible, and they're written by a guy called Moses and. The mission that happens there is not the impossible mission, but it is the mission of God. That's his mission to save his people, to be his people. And Exodus is the second book of that. And we're going to be looking at that over the next uh, eight to nine weeks. We're going to be looking at God's mission. We're going to see action. We're going to see heroes. We're going to see what looks like may not come together and may not work out. Uh, but we're going to see through all of that how God pulls it together and his mission to bring his people together to be his people. That's a pretty exciting book of the Bible. You may have seen uh, the movie put out just recently called Exodus, Gods and Kings. Uh, if you've watched that, it's interesting. It's worth a watch. Uh, don't think that it's exactly what uh, the Bible says about it, but it is an interesting, uh, an interesting in that it takes you back and gives you a bit of a glimpse of what life might have been like back when uh, the Israelites were in Egypt. Uh, so feel free to grab that over the next uh, eight weeks and have a look at it, and then you might be able to compare it against the book of Exodus as we work through it together uh, in, over this term. And the mission, God's mission, is his people to be his people. And we're going to be thinking about that this morning. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to start looking at Exodus together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, how good it is to gather together uh, and spend time in your word. Uh, we pray today, Lord, as we look at Exodus uh, chapter 1 and 2 this morning, that, Lord, we'll be open to what you have to teach us within it. That, Lord, we won't just think we've known this and we've worked it out, uh, but, Lord, we'll see this afresh. That, Lord, this morning, by your spirit, uh, you'll take your word and apply it to our hearts. And, Lord, that we'll be people who are changed because of it and not people who go out of here just listening and not doing. Uh, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, uh, the, it's interesting when you look at uh, the books of the Bible, it's really important that we understand where they fit in the context of the whole Bible. And in a sense, we need to look both to the past, what went before, we need to look to the future, what went ahead, and what happens in the middle. And Exodus helps us do that because the very first couple of verses take us to the past to show us that there's a connection. But we also, as people who live this side of Jesus, need to realise that there is a future and that that future actually impacts the present that we're going to look at in Exodus and the past altogether. And we actually have got the climax of the story already. We already know the big answers to the questions in one sense or to the story. It's a bit like when you open up a novel, isn't it? And you start reading and you think, oh, I know, I like this, I like this, but I want to know what's the ending. I want to, I'm going to flip through, 
and I go to the back couple of pages and go, check out what really happens. Well, we've already done that because we have the New Testament and so we actually can go to the end of the book, we can look at it and we can see what happens. And we need to go forward, don't we? And we see that Jesus actually fulfills God's promises. Uh, God's promises for God's people is fulfilled in Jesus and he's the one that helps us and enables us to be his people. And so when we come back to the start of the story, we need to keep that in mind. Because if we don't do that, we're not going to understand that story as it should be. Uh, because when we look at uh, the Bible, we need to keep in mind that... Let's jump back to that one. Well, if you push the button once or twice, it'll be helpful. Uh, I think we need to remember that when we see Jesus, he's like that one light that hits the prism and then when he hits the prism, then his light shines in and goes back and illuminates what the Old Testament is about. Because uh, Jesus, at the end, when he rises from the dead and he starts speaking to the disciples, what does he do? Does anyone know what he does? He goes back and he explains to them from all the books of the Bible how he is the fulfilment of it. So we cannot understand what the Old Testament is about unless we understand who Jesus is and what he is and understand that he shines light back into the Old Testament and so he expands it, enlightens us and gives us the understanding of it properly. So whenever we look at the Old Testament, we need to think of it a bit like that. Understand who Jesus is, his life, death and resurrection what that means for us, and then that broadens out and gives us light into the Old Testament and so we can understand it. So whenever we look at the Old Testament, we always need to read it, in a sense, back through Jesus. And that's what we're going to be doing today too as we look at Exodus together. Uh, So you need to understand the future to understand the present for Exodus. But we also need to understand the past to understand the present of Exodus. So have a look at what uh, the writer, who we believe is Moses, wrote this because he does that for us. He connects us to what went before so that we can understand where we are now. Uh, Ron Finance is going to read it for us because we're going to see that we're going to be doing sections of it. We're going to actually almost see the whole of Exodus 1 to 2 today. And we're going to read bits of it and then Paul uh, have a look at it and understand each section as we go through. So Ronnie's not going to stand up, but he's going to read it from where he is. He's going to read verses uh, 1 through to 7 for us of Exodus chapter 1. You'll see it on the screen, but have your Bibles open as well. I'm happy for you to do that too. It'd be great to read along with us. Ron, can you read for us? These are the names of the sons of Israel who went to Egypt with Jacob, each with his family, Reuben, Simeon, Levi and Judah, Issachar, Zebulun and Benjamin, Dan and Naphtali, Gad and Asher. The descendants of Jacob numbered 70 in all. Joseph was already in Egypt. Now Joseph and all his brothers and all that generation died, but the Israelites were exceedingly fruitful. They multiplied greatly, increased in numbers, and became so numerous that the land was filled with them. Thanks, Ronnie. He's going to come in at different stages and read that for us. Uh, the writer does, doesn't Moses automatically connects us to what happened in Genesis. Uh, so when we read Exodus, we can't just jump in and just say, okay, let's just read it. We need to understand it fits in a context and it fits in the context of Joseph who went to Egypt, uh, his brothers came to him and then they ended up staying there and there's about 70 in all there when they first go there. Uh, but Joseph dies and they continue on and they start to have lots and lots of them there. They multiplied greatly. They uh, were exceedingly fruitful. And in a sense, Moses is saying to us, 
That's not only a connection to the end of Genesis, but this is actually a connection to the promises of God. Uh, Because what did God promise? Right back in Genesis chapter 1, uh, chapter 12, verses 1 to 3, who can remember what God promises Abraham? It's called the Abrahamic covenant, is what people refer to it as. Who knows what he said back then? Yeah, yeah, he's going to have lots and lots and lots of descendants, isn't he? He makes promises to Abraham. And if you read that verses there, verses chapter 12, the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's house of the land I will show you. I'll make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I'll make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I'll curse, and all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. God promises to bring out his people into his land, to be under his rule, to be a blessing to everybody. That's what his promises were back to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. What do we start to see in Exodus chapter 1 and 2? His people. Now they're not in his land yet, are they? But they're starting to multiply and be fruitful. And what did God say right back in Genesis chapter 1 verse 28? He said, God bless them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds in the air and the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. He said God has made promises for people to be fruitful, but he's made promises for his people to be fruitful, to be in his place under his rule. There were the promises of God, his promises right back in Genesis, in the early chapters. And so in Exodus, Moses reminds us of that. He reminds us that he wants his people and they're going to be fruitful and they're going to multiply and they're going to go out. It's good to be reminded, isn't it, of the promises that uh, God has made and it's good to be reminded of where we sit in history, isn't it? Uh, You see, what Moses is wanting to do is people. he's writing this to people who come and read this in the future to remind people where they sit in history, to remind Israel where it sits in history to mind that God's promises are going to be fulfilled throughout history and that Exodus is one part of that together. Uh, That's a good thing for us to remember, isn't it? It's good for us to remember where we sit in history. It's good to remember where we are part of God's plan as well. You see, God's plan for his people, for Israel back in Exodus, comes to us through Jesus. When we put our trust and belief in him, then we become part of his family and part of his plan. And so the Exodus story is our story as well. It's part of our history. connects us to what God has done in the past and helps us understand where we are now and where we're heading to in the future as well. Uh, I do, in uh, my wedding prep for people, we go through a course called Prepare. And in that course, we do this part that's called Family of Origin. And family of origin goes back and gets you to think about who your family is, who your parents were, what they were like, what they did, how they operated, were they overly connected or disconnected, were they people who spent time with another, didn't spend time with another. And it helps married couples to realise that they're not just single entities coming together, but they have a history. They are part of something bigger and their identity has been impacted by history and by their family around them and that will have an impact on where they go with their relationship in the future. And it's really helpful. Uh, sometimes it's very scary to 
to realise that you're very much like your dad or your mum when maybe you didn't want to be like your dad or your mum. But it does that for you. It connects us. It gives us an identity. It says this is who we are. It places us in history and then helps us to understand what happened back there and helps us understand how to move forward. And in a sense, this is what Exodus, the first couple of verses, is doing, isn't it? It's helping the Israelites understand where they are in God's plan in history, their identity. But it also helps us to understand that we are part of that as well in that we are connected into God's family through Jesus. Our identity is in him. And it reminds us that we are part of his plan, his mission. And that's really helpful to remember, isn't it? Because sometimes I think we just think we're off on our own a little bit here and there, it all just happens, but actually we're part of a bigger plan. We're part of God's mission to have his people be his people. Well, the story goes on, doesn't it? We've put them in context. Uh, we know a little bit of the future because we know who we are in Jesus. They don't know that yet, but they know how they sit in the past. They're connected to God's people in Genesis. They're connected to God's promises. Are God's promises going to be true? Will the promises of Genesis work out or not? Well, let's have a look at what happens in the rest of Exodus chapter 1. Ron's going to read for us now uh, through to... Verses 8 through to 22, so it's quite a long section, but uh, we'll read that. Thanks, Ron. Then a new king, to whom Joseph meant nothing, came to power in Egypt. Look, he said to his people, the Israelites have become far too numerous for us. Come, we must deal shrewdly with them, or they will become even more numerous, and if war breaks out, we'll join our enemies. Fight against us and leave the country. So they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced slavery. And they built Pithom and Ramesses as store cities for Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. So the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites and worked them ruthlessly. They made their lives bitter with harsh labour in brick and mortar and with all kinds of work in the fields. In all their harsh labour, the Egyptians worked them ruthlessly. The king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, whose names were Shepra and Pua, when you are helped, helping the Hebrew women during childbirth on the delivery stool, if you see that the baby is a boy, kill him. But if it is a girl, let her live. The midwives, however, feared God and did not do what the king of Egypt had told them to do. They let the boys live. Then the king of Egypt summoned the midwives and asked them, why have you done this? Why have you let the boys live? The midwives answered Pharaoh, Hebrew women are not like Egyptian women. They are vigorous and give birth before the midwives arrive. So God was kind to the midwives and the people increased and became even more numerous. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families of their own. Then Pharaoh gave this order to all his people. Every Hebrew boy that is born you must throw into the Nile, but let every girl live. It's an interesting passage, isn't it? Uh, we see that the Israelites are starting to fulfil God's promises, aren't they? They're starting to multiply. They're starting to get more and more and more and more and more. 
Uh, by the time we actually hear that they get out of exile and uh, on the way to the promised land a little bit later on, we hear that there's over 600,000 men uh, and then women and children as well. We think that maybe there's up to 2 million of these Israelites living in Egypt at this time. So they've gone from 70 to 2 million. Uh, we don't know the time frame of that. It could be a number of years. Some people say it's up to 400 years that it took to get to that stage. But there's a lot of time going on, isn't there? And, and they're starting to fulfil these promises. And Pharaoh do, does not like it, does he? He says, they're getting too numerous. They're going to rise up against us or they're going to fight against us. And so he starts to think about how can I get rid of them? What can I do to stop this from growing, these Israelites? How can I stop this multiplication thing going on? So he puts in three strategies to try and do it. First one he does, if you notice, that he looks to oppress them. And you can see up there in verse 11, he oppresses them. In verse 12, they ruthlessly get stuck into them. And then verse 14 again, they ruthlessly. What Pharaoh decides to do is, if I can make it as hard as possible for these Israelites, then they won't multiply. I'll slow it down and they'll become less of a threat to me. Doesn't happen though, does it? (laughs) They multiply more. They get more and more and more and it goes on and on. They get even more of them. They continue to grow more. So he thinks, well, what's the next thing can I do? So what does he think? Well, uh, in verse 12, he says, the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. So he thinks, well, I'm going to get the midwives in. What am I going to do there? I'm going to get the midwives in. I'll get them in. That's my next strategy. I'll get them to kill them as they're born. I'll knock them off. Can't ruthlessly oppress them. I can't smash them into resistance. And So I'm going to kill them. I'm going to knock them out. But I'm not going to do it personally. I'm going to get the midwives to do it. So what happens then though? That doesn't work either, does it? So God was kind to the midwives and the people increased and became even more numerous. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families of their own. Pharaoh tries to crush them with oppression, but they multiply. Pharaoh tries to kill them by having the midwives wipe them out, but they multiply. So he goes for the next one. Strategy number three, I'll go for the next one. Look at verse 22. Then the Pharaoh gave orders to all these people. Every Hebrew born that it, boy that is born you must throw into the Nile, but let every girl live. Don't worry about the midwives anymore. Just anybody who sees any Hebrew born... Chuck their boys into the Nile. Will that work? (laughs) Press them cruelly, ruthlessly. Doesn't work. They multiply more. Midwives, kill them. No, multiply more. Is it going to work by throwing the boys into the river, into the Nile? Good question. Let's see. Well, before we see, there's an irony alert, isn't there? Have you noticed the irony already? Pharaoh thinks he can knock these people out, but it doesn't happen. He thinks he can work it out, but it doesn't happen. Irony everywhere happening around here. Not quite as bad as this one. What about that? Phone out of service, give us a call. That's ironic, isn't it? How stupid is that? How stupid is Pharaoh? Does he think he can thwart God's plans? You see, Pharaoh doesn't know this yet, but Pharaoh thinks he's having a go at the Israelites and trying to dominate them. But what he's actually doing is having a go at God and his promises. Can he thwart God's promises? Can he stop God fulfilling his promises? Well, let's have a look at the next section. Ronnie can read for us. Uh, Chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. Now, 
a man of the tribe of Levi married a Levite woman and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. When she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. But when she could not hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch. Then she placed the child in it and put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. Then Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe and her attendants were walking along the river bank. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her female slave to get it. She opened it and saw the baby. He was crying and she felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. Then his sister asked Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? Yes, go, she said, answered. So the girl went and got the baby's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this baby and nurse him for me and I will pay you. So the woman took the baby and nursed him. When the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter and he became her son. She named him Moses, saying, I drew him out of the water. Thanks, Ron. Did you notice the irony? Pharaoh thinks, if I'm going to chuck the babies into the Nile, I'm going to kill them, and that's it. I'll wipe them out. But God says, actually, I'm going to place a child in the, into the Nile, and that child's not going to drown and not going to die. But that child's actually going to come into Pharaoh's daughter, and not only is he going to be Pharaoh's daughter, but he's actually going to come into your palace. He's going to be treated like a son. He's going to grow up, and he's going to be the one that's actually going to save his people. Very ironic, isn't it? as he puts that together and we see how God is working out. Pharaoh thinks he's got it worked out but God has a plan. Can his plans be thwarted? Well, there's so much irony going on here, so much connection here too and so many things that help us see that this child that's placed in the Nile is the saviour that's going to bring salvation to his people. You see, the whole water part's interesting, isn't it? The Nile and water, Pharaoh thinks is going to actually kill them but actually water is the one that's going to save Moses and water is the one that actually is going to be used by God to destroy Pharaoh in the end. Uh, the, the basket that's placed in the water, the word for that is not basket, the word for that in Hebrew is ark. What does that remind us of? No, it doesn't. And it was coated, coated in pitch. What was Noah's ark coated in? Pitch. What's he saying here? This baby is like Noah who saved his people back then. God used to say, this baby is similar. He comes on the ark by water. He's going to come into Pharaoh and he's going to save his people. But then we know the end story too, don't we? Where do we hear of another baby where they're going to try and kill them all, born to slaves or born to, in, a, in an oppressed situation who comes up and saves the world? It's Jesus, isn't it? You see, Moses here is a picture of God saving his people, coming in and God cannot be thwarted. But we know the end picture and God's going to save his people through another child. Uh, Though Herod thinks he can wipe out God's people and wipe out God's plan, God's plans can't be thwarted. God's plans cannot be stopped. That's a great truth to know, isn't it? God's plans cannot be stopped. Pharaoh thinks he can do it. Herod thinks he can do it. 
The Romans thought that he, they could do it. Throughout history, there are people who have thought that they could knock out and stop God's plans. You can go through history and see all these despots and all these people and all these powers that have come forward to try and stop God's plans. But none of them can stop him. You can just imagine, couldn't you, the Hebrews, they've been in 400 years of slavery and it's getting worse and it's getting harder and they'd be crying out to God, God, where is this plan? How is it going to work? It looks like it's been wiped out. You promised us to have a nation, to be a people, to be a blessing to the world. You promised to have be fruitful and multiply, all these things. But where are these promises, Lord? Where is it coming to fruition? Is it going to happen? And we can feel the same, can't we? We can feel in the world that we live in that God's plans are, where are they? Has it gone astray? Has God been kicked to the curb? When we look in our own country and we think about the changing of the Marriage Act, when we think about the persecution against SRE, when we think about the fact that they tried to ban two books in New South Wales recently that are Christian, really well-written Christian books, we sit back and we think, can God's plans be thwarted? Can God's plans be stopped? The answer is no, isn't it? Exodus tells us no, 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 no. Jesus tells us no. They cannot be stopped. People think they can knock God out. People think they can put him to the side. People think they can just shunt it out, to the, put him on the edges of society and fringes of society. But that does not stop God's plans. It's good for us to remember that, isn't it? Because sometimes I think we think, or we feel like it's all gone bad. God's not around. Things aren't happening. But yet God is at work, guys. God's plans cannot be stopped. Uh, Here's just a couple of things I read just recently. You know, there's 648 million Bible-believing Christians in the world today. In AD 1500, there was only 3 million. That's a lot, isn't it? God's plans are growing. Okay, They're not getting smaller, they're growing. There's more and more people coming to know him. They're not being stopped. God cannot be stopped. His plans cannot be stopped. Uh, approximately 550 Muslims come to faith in Jesus every month in Iran. Did you know that? Oh, we think it's just the Muslims are taking over, aren't they? No, Muslims are being converted, guys. They are being converted. People are coming to know Jesus. God's plans cannot be stopped. Now, this one. Uh, the Jesus film has been translated. Some of you might have seen the Jesus film. It looks a bit, a bit old these days, but it's been translated into a thousand languages and over 200 million people have indicated their trust in Jesus by watching that movie, watching that film. God's plans cannot be stopped, guys. Trust that. And we sit back and sometimes think, ah, oh, this world is going crazy. Where is God in it? He's intimately involved in it. He is saving people. His mission is not impossible and his mission is not stopped. He's after his people to bring them together to be his people. God's on a mission. I want that to encourage you. Sometimes we feel like we're just being hemmed in on every side. Sometimes we feel like it's not happening, that God's plans cannot be stopped. Pray that. Trust that. Look for that.
but it's pretty tough, isn't it? We've looked at the past, we've looked at the future, we've looked at the past, we're looking at the present, what's happening in Exodus, but there's real pain in Exodus. And God feels that pain. We're going to jump past uh, Moses' time in Midian uh, for time's sake, uh, but we will see how that fits together next week a little bit more. But we get to the end of Exodus chapter 2, we know the backstory. The Israelites at this time don't. Hear what they say. Thanks, Ruth. During that long period, the king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out, and their cry for help because of these slaveries went up to God. God heard their groaning, and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. One of the things about the Exodus movie that is helpful, I think, is to realise the pain that the Israelites would have been going through. We can read this chapters 1 to 2 and we get a maybe a sense that Moses is saying ruthless, oppressed, so forth. Uh, there were people being killed. You know, Moses goes into Nile. We don't hear about all the other children that have been killed at this point in time and thrown into Nile. Uh, we don't hear about what's going on behind the scenes from that perspective. But if you watch the Exodus movie, I think that's one of the good things about it is that you feel the pain of the Israelites. You see the oppression and the ruthlessness of Pharaoh and the Egyptians over them and you feel their cry. They're crying out. They don't know this backstory. They are feeling, where is God in this? What is God doing here? You see, we think the time frame, we're not 100% of time frames here because Moses doesn't give them to us to exactly. But we think that what happened was when Moses went into Midian and before he comes back, uh, he's there for, uh, he's 40 when he goes into Midian and he's not 80 until he comes back to Israel. So there's a 40 year gap in there between Moses there and even at that point in time the Israelites don't know that Moses is the guy that's going to come and save them they are in pain at this time they are feeling where is God in all of this they are experiencing desertion in a sense of thinking he's not there for them and they cry out and God answers them doesn't he look in verse 24 God heard their groaning and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac and with Jacob So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. He hears them. He sees them. He's concerned about them. He remembers his promises to them. Remember the connections of the promises in Exodus chapter 1? Well, they're the promises that God remembers here. It's not so much that God had forgot those promises and just said, oh, hold on, I'd made promises to these guys. I'd completely forgotten about that. The remembering here is not that sense. The remembering here is that God now brings those promises to the front. They were there. He knew they were there all the time. But this is the time that he's going to bring them to fruition. This is when he puts them on the front burner rather than the back burner. You know those times when you've, uh, I don't know about you, but I've got friends who I know between here and Sydney. And often I'll see them and I'll say, yeah, I'll drop in sometime and I'll catch up with them. Now I may not... Uh, think of that for about 6 to 12 months but maybe I'm planning my trip and often I think it's my trip going down I think oh there's remember there's, there's guys, guys in Coffs Harbour I know so I just, I'll ring them up it's the right time I'll drop in and I'll see them it's not that I've forgotten them but it's the right time now we often do that don't we it's not that we said well 
It's out of our heads. We know about them. They're there. But we bring it to the front. And God brings the Israelites to the front now. And he comes to them. And this is the time when he's going to bring about the fulfilment of his promises to them. He remembers them. He hears them. He sees them. And he has compassion on them. He feels their pain. I think sometimes we can feel like that too, can't we? Where is God? What's he on about? What's happening here? I don't understand what's going on in this sense. But you see, God is intimately involved in our lives. We're not always 100% sure where that plan is and where it's going and what's happening. And what's happening. But he knows the story. He hasn't forgotten us. We're not lost in the background somewhere. He, we are part of that. His plan to bring his people to be his people. And even though we don't understand that plan, he's got that plan. And when we get to the New Testament, we realise, don't we, in Romans eight twenty eight, that God is doing everything for the good of those who love him to be what? To be his people, to be conformed to his son Jesus. That is what it is to be his people, is to be like Jesus in the community that we live. That is what he is conforming us to be like. We're not 100% sure how it all comes together. We can't always work it out. But remember, God is not absent. He hears our prayer. He sees what's going on and he's concerned for us. You see, we can trust in God's character even when we don't feel his presence. The Israelites didn't feel God's presence at the time, did they? But they knew his character. They knew his promises that he'd made. We don't always feel God's presence. But we can trust his character. He's a loving, gracious God who has a plan for you and I to be part of his mission, to bring his people, to be his people. We are part of his plan to become more like Jesus in every way. And he wants to conform us and shape us and enable us to do that. And sometimes that is in pain. But he does that. But he never leaves us. He never forsakes us. He's always there with us. Exodus is going to show that to us for the Israelites. But we know that when we get into the New Testament, when Jesus says that I'll never leave you and forsake you, I am with you to the very end of the days. Never does he leave us. I think that's something we can trust in, isn't it? If I can get this one down. Exodus chapter 1 to 2. A great story, isn't it? But it helps us to see that God's got a plan and that we're part of that plan. We are connected to the people in Exodus as well. That we are part of that and that we can trust him in that, that nothing can stop God's plans. His plans will come to be no matter what. And that we can trust in him and his character even when we don't feel his presence. He is there. You see, God is on a mission still. The mission in Exodus was God to gather his people to come to be his people. God's mission today is to gather his people from every nation through Jesus to come to be his people to live that out in the community he's placed us. God's mission is not impossible. 
God's mission is possible because he is faithful and true. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it's a really powerful part of the Bible that we're going to be looking at over the next while as we look at Exodus and as we see your mission, as we see you gathering your people to be your people, Lord. Lord, we pray that as we look at that and as we see that, as we see your hand in history, that, Lord, that will strengthen and encourage us that you keep your promises, Lord. And, Lord, as we look at that and we see what you did in Exodus through the gospel of Jesus Christ, we realise that Jesus brings those promises to fruition. And, Lord, when we put our trust in him, then we become part of your people to be your people, Lord, on mission for you in the world around us. Lord, may we be encouraged to know that we are part of that plan. To know, Lord, that nothing can stop your plan. To know, Lord, that you are intimately involved in that, involved in our lives, and that we can trust in your character, Lord. May we know this, may we feel this, Lord, may we experience this, and may we go and live out your mission in the world that you've placed us, Lord, in the community that you've put around us, in the friends and the family that you've brought to us, Lord. Pray we can only do that through the power of your spirit, Lord. We pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen.